Well, um, if you guys have your Bibles and your notes, please take them out. I got a good sermon for you today. Do you guys enjoy Pastor Dave Barr last week? Yeah. He was good, wasn't he? He was good. We'll clap. Dave, you're not here. We're just going to clap for you, Dave. Yes, Pastor Dave. Um, he was actually really blessed to come and be with you guys. I promise. He, he wasn't just saying the like, oh, your church is nice, you know, kind of deal. He was serious. He actually said... Um, he went to, he did preach Friday night, Saturday night, and all of the Sundays, five services, right? Every weekend, like I got to do. And he brought his wife and kids to, I think, the 11 a.m. service, and they loved it. And they were just blessed. They, they were actually saying, you know, uh, Carl, we loved it so much. Dave was telling me this. He goes, we're trying to see that, like, if maybe on our day off, we could actually come to your church every Friday night. That's our day off. We could actually come. And we talked it over. He said, probably not, because it's our one day off, and we got to do this. But he loved it enough that he actually considered, I want to come be a part of your church. Your people are cool. Jesus is in the house. I love it. They were responsive. They laugh at my jokes. And I don't know. He's just good. But isn't that a neat compliment that another church pastor would say that about us? I think that's pretty cool. You guys are awesome. Give yourselves a hand right now. That's good. I'm proud of our church and, and what God is doing here. Um, I want to talk to you guys this morning about winning. Did you guys see the, the title to the sermon? Anybody even look at the sermon notes or care? You're just like, hey, you know. No, winning. Do you guys remember about a year or two ago, there was a certain figure in uh, Hollywood and media that kind of they coined the, the, the phrase and the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag winning and, and everything and made it popular. Do you guys remember who I'm talking about here? Anybody? Remember? Who was that? Charlie Sheen, right? You guys, how many of you guys actually know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys, good, fair percentage. Charlie Sheen is this actor that went a little bit off the deep end. Can I say that without being mean? He apparently was engaging in all kinds of stuff that would cause him to just kind of spout out a whole bunch of weird things. But his whole thing in life that he was famous for saying was basically bragging on himself that he's winning, right? He would tell people winning and the kind of stuff related to winning was stuff about how popular he is, how famous he is, how much smarter he is than anybody else. And, and, and people are like, dude, you're crazy. You're saying weird stuff. You're bipolar. And he goes, bipolar? What does that even mean? I'm bi-winning, right? And he'd make up his own stuff, right? And, there, and he would say stuff like, you can't handle me. The normal human brain can't handle me because I'm winning. And he just was saying weird stuff. I have tiger's blood in me and just weird, right? Do you guys remember this? And so I, I'm thinking about this in, in the story that came up today. And I'm thinking the world's view of winning always has to do with getting the most that I can in life all for me. And it's the world's view of winning is so self-serving, isn't it? Think about your life outside of Jesus Christ, before you knew the Lord, before you're living for greater purposes, for his plans for your life, and you becoming a better purpose, uh, a better person of purpose, discovering your gifting so that you can be a blessing to others around you, so that you can look more like Jesus Christ and you can live a life fulfilled. John 10, 10, Jesus came life to give life and fulfillment in abundance. But before you were that kind of a person like you all are now, because you're so perfect now, and we're just living for Jesus every day, right? But really think about that. That was a joke because we're not perfect, right? We try, but we're getting there. That's why we're in church here this morning. But aside from Jesus being in our lives, we're born into this world just looking out for number one, aren't we? Think about those, those little babies, right? All they care about is feed me, mom. I don't care that you're doing the dishes. Feed me now. 
And you know what? You got to wipe me because I'm not old enough to know how to do that yet. So you cater to all my needs, right? Babies are smug sometimes, aren't they? <laughs> They're just, they think they got everything. The world revolves all around them, right? I mean, sometimes I just look at babies and I'm like, ah, you're just so smug. You think you got, everyone is supposed to bow down to you, right? But <laughs> that's how we all are, right? We were born into this world. And everything is about us. And we grow up and winning for our, us in life, like Charlie Sheen is, get me more wealth, fame, fortune, sex, uh, money, uh, material possessions. Everything is serving me. I want to talk to you guys today about a different type of winning, uh, a type of winning that, that is living for God and his purposes in your life, that is serving a greater good. It's not the, the, the instant gratification that the world kind of puts after us, but it's more like, you know what, I, my life can be built up, my spiritual, emotional, my, my physical life, so that I become a more useful and valuable person in this world, to this world around me, and to God. And a win by God's standards is that a situation arises and we make the right choices that put us in a better relationship with God, which in itself is a blessing, but may enhance our lives in some way so that we actually can become a blessing to people around us, and that we, we live for more than just ourselves, but for the bigger blessings that God has for us. Does that make sense? And so I want to be the kind of person that is living from win to win to win. Because I believe in God's word, it tells us that we're supposed to go from glory to glory. That means, I don't know if you guys know, but as Christians, you make a one-time decision that's all that's necessary to say, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live for you. You started that relationship. It just takes that one time. But then life getting better and a walk of faith is actually a progressive thing that should be getting better and better the longer you hang out with Jesus and you live according to his plans, that you literally should be going from glory to glory, from win to win, from breakthrough to breakthrough, from overcoming situation to the next victory, to life getting better. And the world and the enemy and stuff is still going to throw things at you. There are going to be troubles and suffering and losses. But in the midst of that, if you hold on to God and you make the right decisions, you can turn that loss into a win. You can turn the, the setback into the comeback. And so that you come up in this world and that God's taking you from win to win to win. Do you guys believe that about God? I hope you do. I hope you're not like, well, there's times when it's good and there's times when it's bad and I just got to suffer. But if you really hold on to God, God's going, no, I'm going to keep building on your life. It's going to get better and better and better. The one, one of the things that reminds me of this the most is, um, is a, a newly married couple. Yesterday, I got to go to um, Elikea Colson and Tate Fergie's wedding ceremony, their marriage right here. And it was good. Anybody, you guys were, you guys were there? Or at least you know them and you love them? Tate is our sound engineer. He oversees all of the, the sound and everything that happens around here. And, and Elikea and her family are a blessing. She's got people, uh, members of her family on the worship team, and she serves in different ministries. But these two young adults got married yesterday, and it's so exciting, and you're just full of so much joy. And the thing that I love about weddings so much is that it's just this new life, this new adventure together that's so full of optimism. And what I mean by that is, can you guys remember, how many of you guys are married in here? Can you guys remember back to your early days when you got married and you're so excited, you didn't really care about surrounding circumstances, that you literally were so in love, so excited to share life with this new person, this new adventure, that everything that life threw at you was a potential win. Was a potential, remember that feeling, guys? I know, think back, it's like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know about that. Life hasn't been like that forever. It's been like, I don't know. No, but think back of, how excited, like I look at this couple. Do we have a picture of them? I think, is it showing a picture of Tate and Elika? This is them yesterday. And look at them, like a, that twinkle in their eye, you know, and the, 
there, that love, they're leaning in and they're just going, we can do this, babe. We can conquer the world together. Our love is greater than everything. We have Jesus in our life. And that's, I believe, the way that God wants us to live all the time, actually. That, remember in Revelation chapter 2, they're talking to the church at Ephesus and he goes, I like the way you guys have been hanging on and enduring in your faith, but you know what you need to do? You need to come back to your first love, that first excitement, that first optimism that says, my God is in this. I'm, I'm in love with this person or with my Savior. And I, God has prepared me to go from win to win to win, no matter what. Remember when you're first married and you got no money? You guys remember back to that time? You're paying off student loans or you got, you're living in a little apartment or the cars you drive are like not a car you would drive today. You'd be like, I wouldn't even give that car away. But back then, you're like, you don't even care. You're just like, yeah, it's a potential win. It gets me from A to B. And all of that stuff back in the day, you're just living in that attitude of optimism where you know that God just has good things in store for you no matter what. You guys remember that? Remember how good of a feeling that was? I remember when, in one of my early apartments back in the day, me and Kanani, newly married, all of our furniture came from garage sales or Goodwill or whatever. All of our furniture, all of that stuff, that's all we could afford. And I remember having these two little love seats, right? They weren't even full couches because we couldn't even afford a full couch, right? The two little love seats, so they're two like two-seaters, right? You had a couple of those. But we were in youth ministry and we were about having kids over at our house all the time and going to the beach with them and surfing and all that stuff. So we had kids always in our house and we're just, we're just trying, always looking for the next blessing and be more hospitable and our house is open 24 hours a day. Kids are coming in, sleeping over. And I'm going, man, those are nice little love seats we have, but they're so small. I wanna see us owning a couch that's like a big sectional. You know, the kind that's like, like the, the L-shaped one. You guys know what I'm talking about? Those ones, they go together and you can just fit all kinds of people on those things and you can let kids sleep over at your house and you can just climb all over those things. And I'm going, man, we don't have the money, but I would love to, to see one of those in our house instead of these two little small seat, love seats or whatever. And so I remember we went to a, a garage sale or something. And I, honestly, I don't even know if we even paid money, but I saw that there was this big, huge l sectional thing that's going to fit all of these kids and my mind instantly went to the ministry to the hospitality to we can fit more people more of a blessing and never mind the fact that they were like from the 1970s striped broken in stains looking like the Brady Bunch used them already like from the 70s kind all just kind of beat up and all I could see was we can fit more kids on those couches so we get rid of the nice clean looking little love seats and we get this big ugly monster in our house but you know what some of the greatest memories we have and the greatest pictures we have from ministry in those early days is like 20 kids piled on those things, is having multiple kids sleeping over at our house and providing them a place. Who cares what it looked like? We saw the potential in win despite what everybody else said about them and how they smelled and all of that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> so the, the, the lesson and the word I want to bring today, the encouragement that I want to bring today is I want to get us back into having those eyes to see the potential win, despite what the circumstances look like, despite what other people might say. But if we have our eyes set on God and, and learning to see things through the God goggles that he puts on us. Remember we did this when we were little? Batman. But remember, was that only me? Remember that one? The mask? Did anybody do this? Okay, thank you, Frank. Okay, a couple of thank you. But if we can have the kind of optimistic viewpoint and attitude that says, spiritually seeing things in my life, I need to stop looking down at the mess that I'm in, the situation I'm in, the rut I'm in, the circumstances I'm in. 
I need to lift my hand and put on the God goggles, right? And I need to see that there's potential wins out there that God wants to take me from glory to glory to glory. If I would but have the eyes to see those things, God is willing to bless me. Does that make sense? That's the lesson for today. And we're going to be talking about um, Jonathan in the Bible. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 14. And we're going to be talking about the potential wins so that we can be a people that is constantly moving from one situation to the next coming into places of victory, overcoming breakthroughs, and win to win to win. Um, here's a little bit of the backstory before we read um, this story here. Um, this is a story about King Saul, Israel's first king, right? They, they wanted a king. They wanted a leader. And so God goes, okay, fine. I'm going to pick this guy, Saul. He's tall, good looking. He's all of this stuff. So Saul becomes the first king of Israel. He has a son named Jonathan that's a, a grown man, a young man with him. And um, the situation we're going to find them is they're currently in battle against the Philistines, right? The, the Hebrew people, the Israel nation, God's people, um, is trying to find their way to grow their, their population to serve God and, and live for his purposes. But there's these enemies that they have called the Philistines. And they're oppressing them and they're out to get them and they're trying to bully them and not let them rise up to, and have any power, not let the Israelites rise up in power. In fact, one of the things that they did to keep them down to make sure the Israelites wouldn't revolt against the Philistines, they said, you guys are not allowed to have any weapons in all of your land. So we're not even going to allow blacksmiths among your people. So we're scared that you guys might try to make weapons and stuff and then rise up against us. So we want to oppress you and you have to like fall under our command and stuff. So nobody had weapons in all the land except for King Saul and his son Jonathan. It says they had a sword and a spear. Only two guys. And so... In the midst of all this, Saul and Jonathan are thinking, you know what, this isn't the life God designed for us. He wants us to conquer. He gave us this land, not the Philistines over here. We need to do something about this. So they decided we're going to rise up and with God's help, we're going to fight against this oppression. So Jonathan goes out, has a little battle one day, and he beats a bunch of the Philistines. And they're, they're feeling confident. They're gaining ground. And then the Philistines go, what? You guys are going to step up to us? You know what? We're coming with all of our guys, all of our forces. And it said all the chariots, all the armed people, the horsemen, everybody gathered. And it says all of their soldiers in the Philistine army were as numerous as the sands in the seashore. And they rose up against King Saul, his son Jonathan, who were out to fight them. And the Israelites only have 3,000 fighting people in their army against hundreds of thousands of Philistines. So here's the situation. The Philistines, Saul and Jonathan, are scared. They're overwhelmed. They're outnumbered. They're in a rut. They're like, we came here. We don't know what to do now. These guys are going to fight us. We're probably going to die. We're at a loss. Do we just sit here? We're scared. What do we do now? Turns out that the 3,000 members that they had that were going to fight against these guys, they got scared too. So some of the soldiers actually just went straight home. I'm scared. I'm just going to go be with my wife and kids. I don't want anything to do with fighting. I don't want to lose my life. So they went home. Some of the soldiers actually said, I'm so scared. I'm going to go find caves and holes in the rocks, and I'm just going to hide out, and hopefully they won't see me, and it'll pass over. Some of the guys were so scared and hopeless and defeated, and they're just going, this is where my life's at. I'm on the losing team, clearly. Those guys are winning. They have all the weapons. They have all the stuff. I don't even have weapons. I'm fighting with garden tools. I've got a trowel. My friend has a shovel. This guy has a pick. And we're coming at armies with, with horses and spears and shields and all this stuff. And here's us. So some of the guys actually went, you know what? I'm deserting and I'm going over to the winning team. They left their friends and family behind and they joined the Philistines. So now here's where we pick up the story. Saul and Jonathan are left with 600 countrymen who are willing to fight against the thousands of Philistines. And Here's where we relate it to our lives. There's times in our lives, and maybe you're in it right now, where you got yourself into a loss 
Or maybe it's not even a terrible loss or defeated, but you're just maybe in a relationship that's gone stale, a marriage that you're going, I can't even remember back to those days when I was optimistic because I'm pretty much feeling like this is just where I am. This is my, my lot in life and it's just, oh well, ride it out until I die. And there may be places in your life where you're like, man, I, I, I want to get ahead in my, my career, but I'm just stuck in this job and it's dead end and, and this is where it's at. And we kind of feel like Saul and Jonathan, we're just like, we're stuck, we're scared, we're, this is it. This is all that God's got for us. Now in the midst of this, this is the amazing part of the, the lesson, is Jonathan, Saul's son, who loves God. We read about him in other chapters of scripture. He loves God, he loves people, he's loyal, he serves God. In the midst of this, Jonathan gets a little bit of an inkling by the Holy Spirit or by whatever's in him, just knowing his God is bigger, he goes, you know what? I'm gonna lift my head to see something that everybody else doesn't see. And I'm about due for a win because my God is a big God. And I see a potential for something big to happen here, even though everybody else thinks it's like this. I'm gonna have the eyes to see the way things God sees. And I believe that there's a chance for me to go from win to win to glory to glory. And this is where we pick up the story and we're talking about Jonathan. So they're all hiding, they're scared, they're outnumbered. And it says this in, in 1 Samuel 14, verse one. One day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Okay, just so you guys know an armor bearer, you guys don't know what that is, some of us do. Every officer had what he called an armor bearer, who was his assistant. He was his assistant in strategizing how he's gonna fight, but he would carry his armor for him, right? He had better things to do. He was an officer. He had a couple weapons, but he had the extra weapons the armor bearer was carrying. It's like if you golf. Anybody golf in here? Nobody golfs in the room. Come on, you see, if you golf in this room and you know what a caddy is, right? A caddy is the one that helps carry your, your bag and you like tell him, what do you think I should use on this hole? And the guy knows you, he knows your style, he knows what you're good at, he knows which, which weapons, which equipment, which golf clubs actually work the best. And so you talk to him. So here's Jonathan going, this is my armor bearer, he knows me, he's gotta know me pretty well because he, he knows that my life is on the line and his life is on the line, we gotta be there for each other. He's gotta know that the way I think, if the enemy comes at me this way, I'm gonna go this way. And so the armor bearer's got to have, oh, you need this weapon right now. You need a spear for this one. You need the shield for this one. So he trusts this guy. So Jonathan, in the midst of hiding with all the armies, he tells his armor bearer, hey, come, let's go over to where the Philistines are and where they have their outposts. But Jonathan didn't tell his father what he was doing. Jonathan goes, you know what? There's sometimes in life, in our lives, God gives us an idea, a dream, a vision, a hope of something that could be a potential win. And we're kind of like, I don't know if I want to tell everybody because the naysayers out there might talk me out of something that I think God has put in me. So Jonathan goes, I'm not even going to tell anybody. I'm not out for personal glory. I'm going to talk to this guy that knows me best and I see potential. What if we go over there to the enemy and try to pick a fight with these guys? I think something good could actually happen. He knows that no one else is going to believe him. There's times in our lives when we got to only talk to the trusted ones and only confer with the Lord because other people might talk you out of your vision or the potential win. Does that make sense? So you got to be selective. So he, he asked his armor bearer, hey, what if we went over there to the enemy? Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around a pomegranate tree at Migron. And it says, here was the priest with him and these other guys were with him. But it says, no one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called, called Bozes and Sina. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash and the one on the south was in front of Geba. And so basically Jonathan goes, what if we went over there to those Philistines and let's just see what would happen? 
I, I kind of got this idea that there's a potential win there. And where they were at to where they had to get to where the enemy was, three miles distance, and they had to walk, and they had to climb up between these rocky cliffs to get up on top and to fight these guys. He says this to his armor bearer, let's go across to the outposts of those pagans, meaning the people that don't worship God. Let's go across to the enemy. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Here's Jonathan now seeing something that everybody else couldn't see. Everyone else is hiding. And for some reason, Jonathan goes, you know, I think there's a potential win in that. And the way he thinks that it's a win, number one, is he's focused on God alone. He realizes if God is in this, perhaps God will give us victory. God could help us win no matter how many people we got. And, John, and Jonathan's saying to his armor bearer, really, it's only me and you, and we're gonna go pick a fight. But if our God is in this, I think a victory could come out. And sometimes you gotta have the vision to see things that no one else sees. So he tells his armor bearer, perhaps we could do this. Here's what I believe. Any good vision, any good blessing, any dream that God gives us starts with a perhaps. It starts with a little mustard seed of faith that goes, I know no one else sees this, but perhaps this could happen. If my God is in this, perhaps this could happen. Here's what Pastor Stephen Furtick said in one of his tweets I saw recently. He said, God's promise is bigger than my perhaps. But I think that every little dream that we have, the potential for win, starts with a perhaps on our part. Like, I got a little bit of faith that God could do something here. And then God comes along with his promise and backs it up, and we see great victories. But here's the thing that I want, I want to get at us. This is the main thing in the sermon here today is we need to have eyes to see the potential win. We need to have eyes to see the opportunity. Jonathan saw something that lined up with Romans 8.31. It says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? If we're being led by the Holy Spirit and he's speaking to us, he's going to show us things in life that we might not normally see because he's trying to create wins and opportunities for blessing in our lives that are going to bless other people and bring us closer to the heart of God. But if our eyes are down on our current situation, we're going to miss those potential wins. We need to get those God goggles on while we're looking for those opportunities. Remember last week, Pastor Dave Barr said, in the midst of hard times, you shouldn't just give up, but you should ask, now what? In other words, God, now what? What do you want me to do? What could you possibly do? My eyes are going to be above the situation knowing I serve a mighty God who could take me into bigger and greater things to the next win. Proverbs 18, 15 says this in the message version. Wise men and women are always learning, always listening for fresh insights. Are you that kind of person that, that you're looking for the win in places people, other people don't see? See, recently in my life, uh, I usually go to the beach and I usually go to the beach to surf. But in the past few months, God has been kind of convicting me, going, you need to be a better husband and a better father, and you need to go to the beach sometimes to just be with your family, leave the boards behind, and invest in the life of your family. And so I've been trying. So I've been leaving the boards behind. I haven't been surfing that much in, in the past months, and I've been just going to the beach for going to the beach, which is really awkward for me, right? I usually go, and I'm straight in the water, waves, done, go home. But I'm at the beach, and I'm just like, What do I do now, right? So God's been teaching me, hang out with your kids, like bury them in the sand, you know, not, not completely, but up to their head, you know, <laughs> so they're okay. Bur bury your kids in the sand, go, go walk the beach with your wife, just like bronze out, you know, like uh, skies out, thighs out, you know, the whole deal. Like let's, <laughs> let's just hang out on the beach and be a better, you know, don't 
focus on selfish reasons, surfing and all that stuff, right? So I go to the, the beach and I've been hanging out. And one of the things we've been doing is we've been, we've been looking for treasures we can find on the beach, right? So we look for sea glass. We start there, wow, this is cool beach glass, you know? And then we're going, oh, I want to find some shells. So we find shells. We get all excited. We start finding more shells. And I'm still on the lookout, just to let you guys know, from my very own sunrise shell, right? Because you guys know the sunrise shells are the really rare shells. They really wash in on the north shore of Kauai, and some of them make it to our island too. But like a little shell like this is worth $200, right? They're rare. They're beautiful. People make jewelry out of them. But the treasure is in finding it yourself, right? That like the whole excitement is not that I've got friends that are like, oh, I'll give you some. I've got a couple. I'm like, no, no free handouts. Don't patronize me. I'm going to find my own sunrise shell, right? I haven't found one yet, but I'm on the lookout, and God has taken me from surfer into shell hunter. I don't know why, but now I'm all excited about shell hunting. So I go to the beach, and I look for shells now, and I get all excited. It's like treasure from the sea, right? And I don't take live ones. Let them live. But when the shells are in there, oh, my gosh, this is amazing, God. Your creation, it's like treasure to me. I love it. I don't know why I'm, like, addicted to it, right? I'm like, yeah. So I go to beaches now, and I went to this one beach, and where I thought there might be a certain type of shells. And I look where I've looked before and found shells and only found a couple. And I'm walking the beach going, wow, where do, where's a good spot for shells? I wish I had the eyes to see a good place for shells. And I start thinking, they're probably out where everybody goes and dives out there. They get some good ones out deep. And then other people are like, well, they wash on the shore. So look along the shore. I'm looking there. And something in me one day says, why don't you look in this area over here in this, this water right over here? What if you dived in that spot? That looks like it might be a spot where it has shells. And I'm like, but no one ever goes there. We go here, we go out there. And something in me just said, put the mask on and just go try. So I get my fins, my mask, my snorkel, and I go into this little spot and I start digging around. And lo and behold, my first half hour, I come up with like 30 shells. Can we show the picture of, of my little shell collection right here? Look at these. These are cone shells. Look, I actually brought some here today. Look at these things. Look at these. This is like, this is treasure to me. Look at this. I'm like, yeah, right? Oops, I'm dropping. You know what? I'm actually going to share my treasure this morning. with so Anybody like shells in the room? Anybody? Scott, can you help me? Just pass some of those out to some of my friends in here. Because I'm a giver. If God blesses me, I'm going to bless you right back too, right? So that's, here's one. I got one in my hand. Who wants one? I'm just throwing it up. Close your eyes. Watch your eyes. Sorry. Uh. All right, we got it. I'm a giver. What can I say, right? So here's my deal. My, my story goes on. I'm making a point here. Hold on with me here. I go and dive to this spot and I just come up with a plethora, I use that word, plethora, of shells, right? And I'm so stoked. I go back the next week, I get twice as many and I've got jars of them at home and I'm just like, thank you, God. My friends make jewelry. What am I going to do? I don't know. But I just love finding these shells. Then in the midst of this, I, I've been trying to take, it's a secret. Everyone asks me where I'm going. I'm like, I'm not telling you. <laughs> You're going to wipe it all out. I'm going to go back and find nothing and my blessing is going to be stolen by you. So I'm not telling you. So I take a couple of close friends that are like secret trusted friends, right? I go, I'll take you. Don't tell anybody. Let's go over here. Let's go dive a little bit and I'll show you my spot. Well, the, the funny thing is every time I take people, we never really score that much. That's why I figure God only loves me and wants a blessing for me, <laughs> not for anybody else. It's like my secret thing. So nobody else is getting any, but I keep finding all these shells in this spot. And here's the deal. Here's a weird lesson in all of this that relates to what we're talking about with eyes to see the blessing. I got to tell you guys, this is weird. I tell all my friends, I go diving. They go, you must find those diving because I never find them on the beach or wherever I go. Oh yeah, I go diving for them. But here's the reality of it. Where I go diving, it's only about one foot deep, literally. <laughs> and to make it worse, it's literally like five feet from the shore, the spot that I have, right? 
So I put on my fins, my mask and my snorkel, and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like right next to the shore. Like it's so almost embarrassing that if I see someone walking the beach, I like sit up real quick and pretend like, because it looks like I'm like, what does this guy not know how to snorkel? He's in one foot of water. He's like walking by and they're looking down at me like this scuba, you know, the whole deal. And it's like, I'm kind of shame about it. But here's the lesson that God taught me is, you know what? If you will have eyes to see and go and do things that no one else sees, you're in for a potential blessing and a potential win. And so many times everyone else is going, the shells go on the beach or the shells go out in the reef. And there's Carl, five feet from them to the shore in a foot of water. I mean, literally like dry docking sometimes. Like. <laughs> and, but you know what's happening underwater in that foot of water? I am scoring, winning, and I'm getting all the shells that I can put in my pocket. And the lesson for that in, in, for me was that in life sometimes I get so stuck in what I can see and what I can expect and what people tell me and the naysayers and God's going, hold your eyes up, look around because I want you to take a different angle at that relationship that you've been having problems with. Try a different tactic over there. And you know what? You're not happy about your job and where it's at. Have you ever tried doing this or trying doing this in a different way? Do you see the potential win that I'm trying to show you? Because my heart is to take you from win to win to glory to glory. Is that good? So wherever you're at right now, try take a look with different eyes. Whoop, Batman goggles. Put the God goggles on and say, God, what could you show me? Because it might be that the greatest blessing and the next potential win is right under your nose, five feet from the shore and one foot of water. God might have something to show you in your life, your relationship that you never had the eyes to see. So here's what happens. Here's the, here's, um, the next part of the story. Is that Jonathan doesn't just go rush headlong into thinking there might be a chance here. God is big. But here's an important factor. If you're making a tough decision in your life, you gotta make sure that God's in it. Don't just move forward in emotion, move forward in wisdom. Can I say that? Don't just move forward in emotion, move forward in wisdom. Because sometimes we get so impulsive and we get all excited because we think of a good idea, but we need to hold out for the God idea, right? We need to not just go on the emotion. I believe it takes faith to walk towards something that you believe is God. It takes faith to walk forward, but it takes wisdom to walk slowly, to make sure is God in this thing. I have a decision to make. I see a potential win there, but am I gonna make sure that my God is in this? Because that's what we wanna do. If God's not in it, we have no business being in it ourselves, amen? So we wanna confirm. So here's what Jonathan does. He asks his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. So he asks godly advice from someone that knows him and trusts him. Here's what the armor bearer said. Do what you think is best. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. He just got confirmation from someone that knows him, trusts him, and is a fellow lover of God and servant of God, right? He's another Israelite. They trust God. So in our lives, make sure you get the confirmation before you read, run headlong into a potential win. Make sure you're talking to people that know you, that trust you, and people that seek the Lord, people that will pray, pray on it with you. Make sure that you're reading the, the word of God to line up your decisions with the nature and the heartbeat of God. Make sure you're going to church because there's so many times when God gives us the answers through someone else's sermon. That's the whole beauty of God is I don't have anything to say, but God speaks through me to you. Isn't that cool? That I really got nothing to tell you if it's not the word of God, the heart of God. And you may walk out of here today going, I just got confirmation. Well, it's good because you took the time to listen to confirmation. Jonathan didn't just rush up and go fight an enemy. He goes, let me check with my armor bearer. And then he, he, he asks further of God. He's, he's kind of seeking God's guidance. In verse eight, it says, all right then, Jonathan said, then we're gonna cross over and we're gonna let the enemy see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, 
then we will stop and we will not go up to them. Remember, it's baby steps and open doors. And if the door closes in our face, we're not going to go ahead with this thing. He says, if what would normally happen is the enemy should probably say, hey, we see you, enemy. Don't come any closer or we'll kill you. If they do what's normally expected, then we'll take that as God's not really in it. And I just had a good idea, but maybe it wasn't the God idea. We're going to pull back at this time. But if they say this, come on up and we'll fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. He's basically saying this, like you and I would do. God, show me something to confirm that you're in this thing. Make circumstances happen so I realize that you're in it. He's basically saying this. If that enemy who by all military strategy and planning would never sit around and wait for their enemy to climb up these rocky cliffs when they have the advantage of shooting us with an arrow or killing us or dropping rocks on us, kill us. It doesn't make any military sense for them to say, yeah, sure, we'll wait for you to come on up here without attacking you. Yeah, we'll let you get your weapons and everything's good and we'll just wait for you and then we'll fight you. That doesn't make any sense at all. That's why Jonathan's going, if something crazy, if a God situation happens here, then we're gonna take it that God is on our side. And so he's asking confirmation from his armor bearer and then also from the enemy themselves. So when the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come on up here. We're going to teach you a lesson. So Jonathan goes, what? That's crazy. They would never invite us up there to fight. Thank you, God. I get that. That's you. I'm taking that as a sign. He tells his armor bearer this, come on, climb right behind me for the Lord will help us defeat them. He got the confirmation. See, it pays to get the confirmation because then he had the confidence to say, God's got us on this. We sought him and he's given us, he's given us his word. He's given us his confirmation that we're gonna be successful in this thing. Here's what I believe is that we, if we use wisdom, we can wait and we can trust that God will confirm the situation or the decision that we have to make. And then when we get that, we better go for it. We can have the confidence to go for it. God will confirm in your life. I don't know how he'll confirm you, but if you've got a big decision to make and you're taking the time to ask him, he's gonna bring confirmation through the Bible, through prayer, through other people, through circumstances that are undeniable. There was a time in my wife's life when she, we weren't married yet. She, was, um, she had a year of college um, under her belt and she was feeling called to go to Bible college, to Bible school up in the, in the mainland where I was going. And she really felt God saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prepare it for you. I'm going to confirm it for you. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be able to, to get the financing and everything. And you're going to go to Bible college. So in the midst of it, she's saving money. She's got enough money saved for her first semester of Bible college. She put out applications for scholarship and everything. And she didn't hear back from anybody. But she goes, I believe that God is leading me. And I feel it's confirmation that I'm supposed to go to, to full-time ministry in Bible college. In the midst of this time, there was an opportunity for a mission trip to Japan that came along, our very first Hope Chapel youth missions trip to Japan. And she felt God saying, yes, you can go on that trip. I'll still provide for you to go, go to Bible college. She goes, but God, the only money I would have to pay for the mission trip is the money I've saved for my first semester of college. And she felt God saying, no, I want you to go. It's okay, go on this mission trip. I'll take care of your Bible college. And so she goes, I'm trusting you, God. I'm looking for confirmation, but I'm trusting that this is gonna be you. On the day of leaving her her house backing out of the driveway to drive to church to go on her mission trip with all that money she had saved up for school. Her mom says, hey, check the mailbox on the way out. She checks the mailbox, goes through the mail, opens a letter from her high school. She went to Kamehameha High School. She got a full ride scholarship for all of her college paid off, all of her books, all of her housing, all of, I mean, there was even money for food and everything. She got her whole entire college, Bible college paid off 
As she was going, I believe God's in this. I'm looking for confirmation. God goes, you want some confirmation? Guess what? The money you spent for that first semester going on the mission trip, it's all part of my plan. Here's your whole college taken care of. How's that for confirmation, right? That's amazing. But here's the thing. It's important for us to not rush off into something we think is a potential win without checking with God first. Amen? Okay, so here's the next thing. It says that the next lesson that we need to, to learn is, as they climbed up, they were feeling confident God's in this thing. It says, so they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan. In other words, he was taking them out. He had a spear and his sword, and his armor bearer had the hammer or the trowel or whatever garden tool he had, right? It says, before, they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. Here's the thing that I want you to not miss in this, is when they had the confirmation from God, they didn't just stop and give up and go, okay, God, you do the victory then. You confirmed it. They still had work to do, and they had to go hard at it. If God is telling you, yeah, I want to bring um, restoration and healing to your marriage, and you're, yeah, that's awesome. I got the confirmation. You don't just stop and, and let God do all the work. God's saying, but you still have to do your part. Carl, you still have to go be a good husband and love on your wife and have the kind of talks that you need to have. You do your part. I've confirmed that I'm going to be in it and you're going to win, but you got to do your part. Does that make sense, guys? Is it too many times we sit back and we expect God to do what he's enabled and equipped us to do? And he's going, do you understand the whole thought of Christianity is it's a partnership and a relationship. It's not God doing all the work. It's us coming alongside, depending on him daily, hanging out with him, asking him for help. It says in 2 Corinthians, I have the reference right here, um, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Paul says that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. That we're supposed to give our little weakness and the little bit that we can do, and God partners with us. He doesn't do it for us. He wants us to work together in partnership with him. So Jonathan and his armor bearer still had to go three miles, climb up the cliff, get up there, outnumbered, get their weapons ready after all that climbing, and go and fight the hard battle as they're worn out. But guess what? The victory still came because they did the hard work. That means in whatever situation you're in and you're looking for the next win and God goes, I'm gonna give you that win, I'm gonna bless you. Well, you still gotta go talk to your boss about the raise that God promised you. You still gotta go in there and explain to him and have the hard talk. You still gotta work out whatever it is that, that you need to work through. Do your part, follow through. Proverbs 13, four says, lazy people want much, but they get little, but those who work hard will prosper. Isn't that good? You do your part to partner with God. So they go and they fight and they do all of that. And then God goes, now watch what I'm going to do. Now I'm going to bring the real victory. I'm going to do my part of the thing. So here's what happens in verse 15. As Jonathan, the armor bearer, killed 20 guys, God goes, now it's my turn. Tag me in, right? And so it says in verse 15, suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and the raiding parties. That doesn't make sense, right? Two guys come and fight 20 other guys. There's hundreds of thousands of people in the whole army and everybody around gets scared that one little guy came up and beat a couple, couple of their, their, their men, right? They, the whole entire army gets thrown into this panic as only God could do. And then it says, just to top it all off, like God likes to do to show off, it says, just then an earthquake struck right in the middle of them going, ah, oh, what's going on? And suddenly they're like, whoa, there's an earthquake. And, and what happens is confusion and panic breaks out amongst the entire army so bad 
that they just lose their minds and they start killing each other. Ah, what are you doing? I don't know, I'm killing you. Why? I don't know, I'm scared. I'm just gonna kill you. And they just say, what, start wiping each other out. And it says this, that, that Bible historians would say, it doesn't say directly in the Bible, but other historians said that over 6,000 Philistines were killed that day. 6,000, all because one guy, Jonathan, had eyes to see a potential win where no one else could see that. And he tells his armor bearer, let's go up and let's see what God can do. Let's make sure that God's in this. And if he is, we're gonna do our part and we're gonna fight. But watch the victory that God's gonna bring about. Is that cool or what? Wouldn't you like to be, I mean, I just think of, I wanna meet Jonathan someday in heaven and just high five. Yeah, man. That was awesome what you did. 6,000 people wiped out because you had the faith to see something that no one else saw. I think that's so amazing that, that that's what happened, 6,000 people. But then as we, as we look towards the end of that passage in verse 23, here's, here's really the point of it. It says, so the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle continued to rage even beyond Beth Avon. I believe the, the last point that we need to remember is that we need to remember that it's God who saves the day and it's God that gets you the win. You know, the next win that you're looking for and you're like, I need a win, I need a win. Realize that when you get that, it's because God partnered with you that his power was made perfect in your weakness. Because if Jonathan would have thought like, oh, I'm the man. I, 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 what I did led to 6,000 people getting killed in a great victory that day. Jonathan saved the day that day. If he would have thought that, then guess what? He would not have been guaranteed the next win because he would be moving on his own power. It probably would have led to a loss. He would have made dumb decisions. But because he was able to say, the Lord saved the day that way, that day. And we know Jonathan, later on in the chapters, that we, we see that he was a godly man, a man of integrity, that he honored God first and honored other people. If we can live our lives remembering that it's God that saves the day, then you know what's gonna happen? We get set up for the next victory, the next win, the next breakthrough, because it's God and his power that's partnering with us, not just us on our own. Is that good? So we gotta remember that. Psalm 103, verse two says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. That when I come into worship, as we're about to get into in a few minutes here, this last song is simply not just a song. It is not a transition out the door, but it's a time for us to remember and give praise and thanks and glory for all the wins in our life. God, this is our chance right now to remember it's you who did it. Lord, I know where the wind came from. It's all about you. It's not me. Because the minute I start thinking that it's me and that I'm good, that I have control over my life, then when I do get control of my life, it falls apart and I do stupid things and I rush headlong into things that I should have been walking slowly into and I screw my life up and I hurt the lives of other people around me and I turn into Charlie Sheen and I do, you know, <laughs> you just go down that road, right? Winning. No, you're not winning, right? But when we turn to God and we remember him, and we know that it's him and we thank him and we worship and we read our word and we get back into a life that says, God, you're in control, you're in control, you're in control. We sang this song earlier, God, I surrender. I'll use whatever I can and work my hardest at it, but literally I surrender everything to you. You're the one that gets the win. Then we move from glory to glory, from win to win. Is that a good word this morning? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Let's, let's thank the Lord. Lord, right now in this time of prayer, we actually do remember you. We thank you. We praise you because you are the God that takes us through all the winds in life. Lord, it's because of you that we, we have any success in victory. And any victory that we think we have, uh, Lord, it's short-lived in comparison to what you want to do in us and through us that would be eternal victories and eternal wins, Lord, affecting the lives of others in, in, in and around us, affecting ourselves in ways of bringing growth and spiritual maturity that we could have never handled on our own. 
Lord, we trust you to bring us the wins. Lord, I pray you would give us as a people, your people, your kids, give us the eyes to get our, get our eyes off our present circumstances, to, but to look for the future win, the potential opportunity that's out there and not focus on the obstacle. Lord, show us how to have those kind of eyes that we could receive the blessing where no one else is looking, where no one else saw hope or victory or a win. You saw something, Lord. You reveal it to us. We move forward. We get the confirmation. We do the hard work. And God, we sit back and you come through and you bring in your power. Lord, help us to be a people that are always looking for the win. And I want to say another prayer right now as we're praying. The, the prayer I want to say right now is with a few people in this room here today. It's a prayer that's going to be with you and for you. And it's, it's a prayer that would say, God, I'm, I'm at a place in life where I'm far from you right now, but I want to be close to you. I need you and I want you in my life. Lord, I need to experience some wins. I'm tired of all the losses. I'm tired of getting tricked into things that I think are wins and then they turn out to hurt me later on. Lord, I want to put my hope and faith and life in the hands of someone that's bigger and better and smarter and stronger. Lord, the creator of the universe, that's you, Lord, and your son, Jesus, that went to the cross for me and the Holy Spirit that empowers me to see the miraculous and to see good things happen in my life. And if you're someone that, that I'm talking about right now, that that's you today, you came and you're at a place where you're willing to take a chance on God, to put your faith and your hope in him, to say, I'm ready to be a Christian, to follow God and see what he could do in my life, then I want to say a prayer with you. And maybe it's your first time ever praying something like that. Well, you don't have to know everything about it. You just say yes and you hold on to God and he's going to explain to you all the stuff you don't know. All the questions you have, I promise, he'll get with you. He'll work on you and you'll learn all of those things that you need to learn. You don't have to know it all. You just have to have faith and believe that he's here to help you, to bless you and to forgive you. So if it's your first time, I want to say a prayer with you for that. But maybe it's some of you in, are coming in here and you're coming from a place of returning to God. You've been away from him for a while, that maybe at one point in your life you did believe in him and you put your hope and your faith in him, but for whatever reasons you've walked away. And you know he's still there and he's waiting for you to return, but you've, you've clearly walked away and you've gone your own way and you've made up your own mind and done your own things. But maybe you're at a place today where God brought you to church this morning with a potential win for you in your life. And the win is that you would pray this prayer right now and come back to him, that you would jump in with both feet and say yes and dedicate your life back to him where it belongs. And so if you're coming for the first time or just coming back after a long time, allow me to say a prayer with you right now to put things back where they need to be, you in right relationship with God, him leading you and getting you from win to win in your current circumstances. So if that's you, I'm gonna say a prayer in a minute here. And how we're gonna do it is I'm gonna pray the words out loud. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. I'm not gonna ask you to pray it out loud right now. That's scary for some of you. And I don't wanna do anything that would keep you from praying this prayer. So for now, I'm going to ask that you would agree with me the prayer I say out loud. You would pray it in your heart because God judges us, up, judges us off of our hearts. But after service, you can go and tell people. You can confess it with your mouth. But for right now, I believe it starts in the heart. So if you'd like to say this prayer just to say yes to God, to be a Christian, to dedicate your life to him, I'd like to lead you in this prayer right now. What we're going to do is I'm going to count to three in a minute here. And when I say three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to pray that with me. I'll pray the words out loud. You pray it quietly in your heart to yourself, to God, with everything that you got. God will answer you. He'll change your life and he'll start you on this incredible journey. But I just want to know who I'm praying with. So I'm going to count to three and ask that you would raise your hand just to let me know that you're praying that prayer with me. The people seated next to you have their eyes closed and their heads bowed and they're actually probably praying for you right now that you would say yes to God because they know how good it is. But for you, if you want to make that decision, 
on the count of three, just raise your hand and hold it up until I see you and acknowledge you. Then we'll pray together. So ready on the count of three, one, two, and three. Just lift those hands. I see one person here. I see two. I see three. I see four, five. I'm looking around. Anybody else? I didn't see six. Someone in the back over there. Thank you, God. There's seven. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God, for those hands. See about seven people in the room. Thank you. If I miss you, no worries. God saw you. But put your hand down right now, and I want you just to pray this prayer that I'm going to say out loud. You pray it in your heart. God, I'm here this morning, and I'm looking for answers. I'm looking for help. I'm looking for wins, and I believe that the answers are all found in you. So God, what I'm telling you right now basically is yes. Yes, you have me. Yes, you have my heart, Lord. You have all of me. I want to serve you. I want to live my life according to you and your plans because I believe with all my heart that they are better, that they are bigger, that they are the best plans possible. And Lord, I believe, I'm telling you in my heart of hearts right now, I believe that your son Jesus came from heaven to earth, walked this planet, taught us how to live, gave us an example. But then more than that, he went to the cross to pay the price for all of our sins. And sin is nothing more than missing the mark, falling short of the life that you have us. Sin is simply the life that we lead that it's only for us and not thinking of you or your plans. So Lord, I believe that Jesus died on that cross to pay the price for all of that. My wrong mistakes, my wrong actions, my brokenness, my hurt, my shame, my guilt. Lord, so that I wouldn't have to pay an eternal penalty for that. Lord, but I believe that Jesus went to the cross and then he rose from the grave proving that he is God, that he overcame death and guilt and shame and hurt and sickness and heartache and all of those things in my life, Lord, that I struggle with, that Lord, you overcame them through your death and your resurrection. Lord, I believe in that. I receive in that. I receive that. From this day forward, I'm going to live that out of my life. I'm going to follow you as I go to church, as I get to know the family of God, as I read my Bible, get to know you better, as I pray and talk to you per, uh, personally. Lord, as I get baptized as a symbol of what's going on in my heart right now, I'm dying to my old self and I'm a new creation in you. Lord, as I receive all of the power of your Holy Spirit to do the miraculous in my life on the daily basis, Lord, I receive all of that, Lord. All of this, I'm saying yes to you. Thank you for forgiving me, for being my God, for being active in my life, starting now on into eternity. I love you. I trust you. In Jesus' mighty name, the church said, amen. And let's praise God for those people right now. Let's do that.